Today on the podcast, we have Lauren Greenfield. Lauren Greenfield is a photographer, a filmmaker, and personally, one of my favorite people. While I don't know her super well, we worked together many years ago. I had a feature story that I wrote for Marie Claire magazine where I was profiling female firefighters, and I was so delighted that the magazine sent Lauren to shoot. I've been following her work for many years, girl culture when I was in high school, because that's where I learned about plastic surgery through her photography. Lauren Greenfield's most recent work is Generation Wealth, currently on Amazon Prime. Her previous film, The Queen of Versailles, is available on iTunes. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I made the film Thin, what I discovered about eating disorders was that a lot of girls had a kind of trauma that was in a way behind the eating disorder, that it wasn't about body image as much as about numbing pain like other addictions. And in Generation Wealth, I kept coming back to that and this idea of addiction and where it comes from as the only explanation for why we were on this irrational hamster wheel of wanting more. And more in Generation Wealth meant more money, more image, more fame, kind of more of everything, whether it was sexuality or beauty or youth, all the things that give us value. And so in the film, I really started to look at for all of the characters, and I put myself in that group of characters because I'm in the film too, what was the kind of trauma that then created this addiction? And I think in a way that's the story of generation wealth as we see that it's not really about the money. In a way, it's about this kind of emptiness or, or sadness or hole that we're trying to fill with something that can't be filled. Me, along with a lot of other people, are just tantalized for whatever psychological reason. Stories about the idea of America being about to fall. I mean, is that something that's appealing to you? I, I went back and I looked at it a little bit and I'm like, well, Yates wrote about that once upon a time. A lot of Renaissance art is about kind of some sort of impending disaster. I don't know why it almost seems to be a collective relief for people to ponder that moment before everything unravels. I don't know if it's guilt. Or- well, it does feel like we are kind of um, barreling towards the apocalypse right now in the sense of the environment and our politics and our economy also seems kind of in another bubble. And in a way, this, the, the degree to which we are kind of enraptured in illusion, whether that's technology or media, kind of bombarded by distraction. And I think in a lot of ways have a feeling of having lost our moral compass and having lost our sense of purpose or or meaning in terms of knowing how to live a meaningful life. So I guess I would argue that right now it 
feels more like the end of Rome than 10 years ago or 20 years ago. To me, it's kind of like the Gilded Age. That is why, you know, the book is in gold and the movie opens with like dancing Mm -hmm. in gold uh, confetti because it does feel like the Gilded Age, you know, before the crash. And I think what you see in the film is that everybody has their own crashes, personal and collective. And in some ways, it's the crash that allows us to kind of have a jolt and wake up and see what's really important and possibly have agency and have the opportunity to maybe make choices that will lead us out of the making of our own destruction. I wish I could say I predicted the rise of Donald Trump. I think I was as surprised as anybody else. And yet I feel like going back through the pictures, it's all there that you can kind of see in a way generation wealth helps to explain the culture that made Trump possible. Um, and at the same time, the culture that made Kim Kardashian possible and that made the Birkin bag possible and some of these kind of head scratchers. I think that in a way he was a kind of apotheosis of generation wealth and really his rise expressed so many of the ideas in it from the value of, um, well, from real estate being kind of this pivotal piece Mm -hmm. to having your name be on these giant phallic buildings to um, having beauty pageants and kind of beautiful women being an expression of success, beautiful women around him. It's so on the nose watching David Siegel that I kind of got the chills. Well, it's interesting because Chris Hedges, who's in the film in Generation Wealth, wrote a story about the similarities between David Siegel and Donald Trump. And they are kind of stunning. And then it was just kind of a funny aside that Jackie Siegel dated both of them. But uh, which is in the film, but even the aesthetic of gold and kind of aristocratic France. I saw one author called Dictator Chic, that kind of aesthetic. The movie actually ends quite hopefully, in a way, surprisingly, in the book and in the exhibition. It ends on kind of a dark note because I, I was, in a way, just intending for people to think about these things in our culture. And that by the time I was editing the movie, Trump had been elected. And I felt like I wanted to kind of offer in a way a way out and show what I had learned from the subjects waking up and put out there the possibility that we could wake up and do something different. So I am hopeful, even though it's a dark vision. The Generation Wealth show is now in The Hague in the Netherlands, and it's going next to Dr. Holland in Germany, and then to the Louisiana Museum in Copenhagen. Awesome. And um, I'm also starting a new company called Girl Culture Films, where we are representing a roster of incredibly talented female directors to kind of amplify the female voice in both branded content and commercials and also um, I love it. series. Can you, do you have an answer to the fact that all I'm a millennial. Um, most millennial men, they can't seem to commit and they act like they're in their 20s, you know. <laughs> just, but it's just like this, it's this thing, the culture of millennials. It's just, it's truly bizarre to me, even though I am one. But I, I wish it seems someone like could. If there was a generation that would not see through the consumeristic matrix, yeah. it would be the millennials. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if that's true. I hope that's not true. But I was wondering, what, what, what do you think would let people finally see the destruction that's behind a lot of our practices? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I guess I hear both sides of that because some people also feel like the millennials are not as materialistic and are kind of growing up thinking it's not all that. And Those are probably way, the smarter people. Yeah. Have, have that, that disillusionment. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's the millennials that are the most plugged into social media. And I right. think the more we see of social media, the more we think it's the matrix. I just keep coming back to, um, I don't know if you remember that Twilight Zone to serve man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like the cookbook. And, and I feel like social media is that thing. We think it's serving us and we're really giving ourselves to it to sell. That's really why I do this work. And in a way, why I justify my own workaholism is this attempt to kind of deconstruct the culture in a way that allows people to see it differently or enables people to kind of look at it a little bit differently and and have that experience of waking up. It's definitely very effective for me personally reviewing your work. It made me take a, a different look at some things in my own life, especially your observation that there was a turning point relatively recently where we lost our shame around wealth because growing up in, in my household, large amounts of, of shame, you know, like first real successful generation of Jewish immigrants on, on one side, uh, you could maybe make money, but that was not nearly as important as the magic panacea of education or going into service work. So then when I watched the beginning, especially, you know, 90s and crossroads, and I actually taught at a similar school a little later. So I know that student body pretty well. And I'm like, when did kids embrace yeah. this idea of money? I, that mm. was one of the reasons I wanted to look back at the 25 years because I saw this really stark transformation. When I began, I was photographing kids in LA and I was looking at the materialism. And so in a way, it was the same story that I was looking at now. And yet, when the pictures first came out, people were very self-conscious about it. There was that embarrassment or shame that you talked about. Maybe the kids were showing off, but the parents didn't want right. to look like they were showing off. By the time I made a short film called Kids and Money in 2007, which was in a way going back to that same subject, but in video, the parents were often present during the interviews and they were themselves kind of bragging about how their kids were like, um, like Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton. Oh, and fascinating it was, to me. <laughs> Reality TV, wow. in a way, had completely changed the stigma around that. Um, it's a dark one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a way, and these and these two rich girls explained it to me this way when they were talking about hip hop and the materialism of hip hop, which I had kind of documented as a driver of materialism across class, across race. And they were like, "Well, the thing about hip hop is it's like." allows you to be blingalicious without any kind of embarrassment. Like it was in a way this justification for just being all out baller and, and showing off. And for me, that also led to really looking at the fake it till you make it phenomenon where people who didn't have it then felt like posing was important and that kind of image trumping substance for everybody. It reminds me of that, that, that Siegel quote where he says, everyone wants to be rich and everyone who doesn't want to be rich wants to, to feel rich. And I guess the extension of that is appear rich, which he uses as a giant pyramid scheme to, you know, do some things that may not be the most ethical. But I, I, that, that blows my mind. And I think that observation may be the driver behind so much that's kind of 
falling just all around us. <laughs> Thank you. When I was a kid and I was you know, uh, shooting amphetamine, I'm sure it formed my life a lot. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 